Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. This week, we had planned to post a Grand Rounds talk that we got on killer back pain from Mike Bond, but unfortunately, our recording got messed up and the quality isn't any good. Instead, I'm going to give you some of his big pearls and take-home points. Now, Mike is an associate professor of emergency medicine at the University of Maryland. He's faculty for the teaching course and an absolutely phenomenal educator. Mike started out with discussing the history and physical exam and reviewed the big back pain red flags. These red flags are things that would push you away from a benign diagnosis like musculoskeletal back pain and towards a dangerous diagnosis like epidural abscess, vertebral osteomyelitis, cauda equina, or other cord impingements. In the history, we're looking for age under 18 or greater than 50, pain lasting for six weeks or more, a history of cancer, fever, night sweats, unexplained weight loss, recent bacterial infection, IV drug abuse, immunocompromise, trauma, and night pain are pain that's worse when lying down. Reported change in bowel or bladder tone, that can either be constipation, urinary retention, or incontinence, is very concerning as well. If the patient has these red flags, consider getting imaging. For the physical examination, one of the big things Mike stressed was getting the patient undressed and doing a thorough examination, including looking at the skin. It's easy to miss things like zoster if we don't look. On the exam itself, we need to look for saddle anesthesia, decreased or absent sphincter tone, and the presence of any new neurologic deficit. Again, if you find these things, it's going to steer you towards one of the more dangerous diagnoses. In the absence of all these historical and physical exam features, we're likely going to be reassured that the patient is simply suffering from musculoskeletal back pain. In this case, our job is going to focus on relieving pain as much as we can. Mike points out that the available evidence shows that almost regardless of what we do, the patient is likely going to have back pain for a total of five to six weeks, so we need to set the expectations from the outset. We can give NSAIDs like ibuprofen or naproxen as well as acetaminophen to manage the pain. Tell patients to get up, do light exercise, as prolonged rest can make musculoskeletal back pain worse. Let's move from the benign to the life and limb threatening. There are a number of pathologies that are often misdiagnosed as musculoskeletal back pain that we have to be tuned into. AAA and aortic dissection can both present primarily as back pain. Now, we discussed aortic dissection back on podcast 10, so go ahead and check that out. Short of the long is, look for sudden, maximal, or severe pain at onset, and that can be back pain, not just chest pain, and for symptoms above and below the diaphragm. Now, for AAA, we often think about finding a pulsatile abdominal mass, but that's actually only seen in about 26% of patients. Additionally, it's not terribly specific, as I know I've been able to palpate the aorta in some thinner patients pretty frequently. If the patient's older or has a history of chronic hypertension, we've got to think about AAA, and we can look for it pretty easily with point-of-care ultrasound. In patients with cancer, we're going to be looking for metastatic disease. A plain x-ray can be used as a screen for this, and advanced imaging can be delayed to the outpatient setting unless the patient has evidence of new neurologic findings, in which case you better go ahead and look for it now. Epidural abscess is another life and limb-threatening disease we need to be tuned into. The rate of epidural abscess appears to be increasing, which is likely due, at least in part, to the increase in spinal procedures, including epidurals. If the patient has had instrumentation of the back, definitely suspect it. Both epidural abscess and vertebral osteomyelitis can also occur via hematogenous spread. T 
typically we think about patients with IV drug abuse, but we can also see this in any immunocompromised patients, including those with AIDS and those on chronic steroids or immunomodulators. Even five to 10 milligrams of prednisone on a daily basis can put you at an increased risk. Now, the classic triad of fever, back pain, and neurologic deficit is only seen in about 15% of patients with epidural abscess, so we can't rely on that. If a patient presents with concern for an epidural abscess and already has a neuro deficit, rapid diagnosis and management is likely at best to avoid progression, but it's unlikely to reverse the deficit that's already there. If you suspect the diagnosis, get an MRI of the entire spine. Epidural abscesses are notorious to have skip lesions in the spine, so you don't want to just look for the area that the patient indicates pain in. Now, this brings us to imaging. For the vast majority of patients with back pain, no imaging is needed. If you think they're musculoskeletal back pain and there's no red flags, no imaging and the patient's on their way. If you're worried about spinal cord compression, whether that be from disc herniation, epidural abscess, osteomyelitis, malignancy, or whatever, MRI is going to be the imaging modality of choice. Plain films and CT just don't give us enough information here. They're not sensitive enough to pick up the disease and they're rarely necessary. Let's wrap up by hitting on Mike's big take-home points. Number one, assess all patients with back pain for the presence of history and physical examination red flags, and don't forget to undress your patients before you examine them. For presumed musculoskeletal back pain, over-the-counter medications including acetaminophen, ibuprofen, and naproxen should be the first-line treatment. Exercise has been proven to be effective in improving musculoskeletal back pain. Early mobilization is key. Number four, consider epidural abscess and vertebral osteomyelitis in all patients with back pain and fever if risk factors are present, regardless of whether the patient has a neurodeficit or not. And number five, finally, consider aortic dissection and AAA in patients with atraumatic back pain, particularly if the patient is older and has hypertension. Now, before we wrap it up, there's a great article that was published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine about three to four months ago entitled Managing Non-Traumatic Acute Back Pain from Jonathan Edlow. This is a must-read for clinicians as it gives a great approach to considering the differential for back pain in the ED and thinking through the workup and management. I'm going to drop a reference to that in the show notes. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net, where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday on hemothorax management and a journal update on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore em. Thanks, and see you all next week.